Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. So, a long time ago, in a magical time, pre-COVID, I used to have a lot of hair. I, uh, I don't anymore, hence always having a beanie or a hat on, but there was a time when I had tons of hair. When I was in high school, I, had a, I was really into punk rock, and I had a huge mohawk. Sorry, Mom. I'm sure that was a... She was always very gracious with my weird styles and stuff, but whatever. Anyways, I had a mohawk. I, uh, then I graduated to a mullet, eventually. Played in some, like, heavy metal, southern-y bands, and I thought mullets were cool. And then I matured a little bit and then started going to a barber. Started, I had a pompadour for a long time, or, like, a real nice little side part, and... It was great, and then I started using pomade. I used this stuff called Murray's, which I'm pretty sure they use that to like lube up tractors and airplanes and stuff. It was very bad for your hair, and my barber always told me, hey, stop using Murray's because it's gonna rip all your hair out. And I thought he was not, I mean, he's not a doctor, he's a barber. So I kept using Murray's and it ripped all my hair out. Now I'm bald. That's not great. But I held on to my hair for as long as I could, and then one day I saw a picture of myself where the sun was shining behind me perfectly and the camera was over here. And I saw a couple little strings of hair, but then just a bright outline of my bald head. And my uh, hair loss was too gone. It was too far gone, so I gave up on my relationship with having good hair. And now I'm bald for the rest of my life. Some of you can uh, appreciate that feeling. At least three of you right over here. But all, all of that to say, um, some things in life, sometimes we get to a point where we feel like something is too far gone. Or there's a situation that's hopeless or something that's so far out of our control that we just give up. Like me with shaving, shaving my head, I just gave up on trying to grow hair. There's a story in Luke about a guy who felt like maybe his life was too far gone or kind of out of control. His story is way worse than hair loss. But let's jump into it and read it anyways. It's in Luke, cha- Luke chapter 5. It's in verse 12. This is a story about a leper who talks to Jesus. Uh, I just want to start with the first little part of the verse, and we're just going to talk about a handful full of things just in this verse. Uh, so it says, while he, talking about Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. So um, most of us are probably aware of what leprosy was. Um, and in history, especially a long time ago, it was a really big deal. They didn't have the little minute clinics or like an emergency room or somewhere you can just go in and you have a thing and they fix it real fast. Like leprosy was a big deal. The, it was called the wasting disease. It was also called walking death. Um, a bunch of other weird names. And it would start with a little small rash and it would kind of grow and spread and look nasty and then it would make its way into your muscles and all the tissues and your bones and then eventually some of your pieces would just start falling off you lose a finger or you lose a nose is really really bad really gross it would ruin your whole life and there wasn't a cure for it and it wasn't just bad on your body socially also there there's tons of rules you were considered unclean if you were a leper so not only were you diseased and in pain and sick all the time, but you couldn't 
be a part of normal society. You were ostracized. You had to live outside of the city by yourself. So it's bad for your body. It's bad for you socially. It's pretty bad all the way around. In, in Leviticus, there's a whole chapter about leprosy. It's in chapter 13. It's kind of a dry read, but go for it if you want to. Um, but it's very interesting. The whole chapter is kind of like, hey, if you notice this kind of rash or this spot on your skin, go to the temple, get with the priests. They're going to check you out. And then they kind of diagnose the thing, and then they tell you what to do about it. Um, church back then was very different than today. If you could imagine going to small group and saying, hey, Pastor Brian, I got this weird rash. Could you, uh, could you check, out, check on it and let me know what to do? He, uh, he'd probably not have you back at small group, so don't do that. But back then, that was the process. You went to what we would call church. You, you went to the church people, right? They help diagnose you, and they take you through this list of warning signs. So one point I want to make about this story, even though we're not into it very far, is that uh, thousands of years before the leper even shows up in Luke, God gave the Hebrews this entire chapter in Leviticus about warning signs about his disease and what to do about it. The priests and the people in the temple were there to help him diagnose the situation and then tell him what to do after. In the same way, God gives us warning signs, and they help us to diagnose things in our life. And he doesn't just give us warning signs in the Bible, but he gives us people at church, leadership at church, Christian friends, Christian families. So in the same way that somebody that started to develop a rash a long time ago would go to the priest and say, hey, what's going on? I noticed something not right. What do I do? In the same way that he did that with his body, when we are going through spiritual things, mental things, emotional things, you go to people at church, you go to your pastor, you go to Christian family and Christian friends, and you say, hey, I noticed this thing. Help me figure it out. Help me figure out what it is. Help me figure out what to do. And then also, so we, we support each other like that. There's also a bunch of areas in the Bible where there's either explicit warning signs, hey, watch out for this stuff. But then on the flip side of the coin, there's things that we're supposed to be looking for. So in my own life, one way that I, uh, I kind of use this as a test of warning signs, if you will. Um, the Bible talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit are the things that are supposed to come out of our life as we walk with Jesus and get closer to him. The longer we walk with him, the more of these fruits of the Spirit are supposed to be evident. So what I do is I compare my attitude or behavior or the way I'm feeling to the fruits of the Spirit. And if something is not lining up, warning sign. Does anybody know what all the fruits of the Spirits are? Can anybody name them other than Pat, smart guy? Killian, can you do it? Very close. You got the first letters of all of them right. I, 100%. Way to go. So all these things are what a healthy spiritual life looks like. When we're lacking any of these, it's a sign. It's a warning sign of something in our life or our spirit or our behavior or our attitude or maybe our motives that something is not right. 
There's, it's a sign of something wrong. There's a problem. And notice in the list too, it, it doesn't mention health or wealth or feeling good or good luck or happiness or a pretty husband or a pretty wife or good kids. So a lot of times we tend to think a sign of spiritual health and having a good relationship with Jesus is that everything is well, everything's great, things are gravy, but not so much. When we compare our lives to the fruit of the Spirit, we should notice a lot of areas that need improvement. So uh, anybody in here have road rage? Yeah, <laughs> my wife raised her hand, yeah. So babe, Compare your attitude and your feelings in those situations to the fruits of the Spirit. Is, is any of the ways that you're feeling loving? Absolutely not. Full of joy? Probably not. Peaceful? Absolutely not. I've been in the car. It's not peaceful at all when people are making their mad. So every situation, anything that's going on in life, the fruits of the Spirit are, is our litmus. It's what we compare the way, what we're going through, the way we're feeling, compare those to the fruits of the Spirit, and then it'll ding, ding, ding warning sign or it'll let you know you're on the right track. So the leper in Luke 5 that we're going to talk about, he knew the warning signs of his disease because he was most likely familiar with the Old Testament and that chapter in Leviticus that I told you about. So he knew something was wrong. Also, he was full of the disease. So it was probably very obvious to him that he had a problem and something was wrong. In verse 12, uh, we read, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. So this guy's full of this disease. It was on his body and in his body, and it had taken over his entire life. Kind of like we talked about, he, was not, he wasn't just average Joe around town. He couldn't, he couldn't live in town. He couldn't eat with people in town or shop where most people shopped or go to church. <laughs> they didn't have DoorDash back then, so it was very inconvenient for the guy, you know? It's, it's, life was really bad. And it was because of his leprosy, and he was full of it. It was advanced. You could even say that his leprosy was so far gone, or too far gone, that he, he didn't have anything to hope for. The situation was bleak, out of his control, nothing he could do, nothing anybody could do to help him. So I've noticed that there's been a few times when I have felt like that in my life with my relationship to God. Like maybe you just pushed the line a little too far with some of your behavior. Or something in life is so far out of your control or so far too far gone or so farther past the line of what's acceptable that uh, it's really awkward to approach Jesus about it. So in my life and my friend's life, I've noticed by and large, when there's a situation like that, rarely do we run to Jesus with it. We, have, we try to avoid him. So kind of like in, in, in Genesis, in the Adam, Adam and Eve story in the Garden of Eden. First time they sin, God comes looking for them and calling their names, and what do they do? They hide in the bushes. Because they're ashamed. It's awkward and it's uncomfortable. But we do the same thing with Jesus. When we start feeling like something is too far gone or too advanced or we've done too much of something or too little of something, what do we do? We start kind of avoiding Jesus. We avoid other Christians. We avoid people and things at church. We almost ostracize ourselves in the same way that people would do to the lepers back in history. 
And we do that to ourselves. Some of us feel like our things are so advanced that our, our sin is too far gone or our anger or mistakes or our marriages or our relationships with our kids, our lifestyles. You feel like it's so far gone that what could God do with it? We avoid Jesus and we avoid each other. Kind of like how the leper lived for his whole life. The problem with that kind of thinking is that you can't avoid Jesus. So I can look back on my life and think of a thousand times that he chased me down and hunted me down. And there was a handful of years where it's almost like the Holy Spirit was haunting me. Like I had kind of, I had resigned. I didn't, I, I didn't want to be the good moral American Christian guy. You know, it was exhausting and I was over it. It was like God would not let me go. So you see that with the story of the leper. Jesus may not have been chasing that guy down all the time like God did in my life, but there came a point where Jesus went to his town. Jesus showed up where the guy lived. Jesus does the same thing for us. He shows up in the middle of where we live, in the middle of our lives, and regardless of how hard we try to avoid him or hide from him or not do the Christian-y stuff because it's awkward now, he's still there. The leper in this story had a disease for probably most of his life. I mean, it's fully developed. It said he was full of leprosy. That doesn't happen overnight. That takes time. And it stands to reason that he probably tried a lot of things to fix his problem or to get help for his disease, at least to cope with it, right? I mean, I'm sure back then they had little creams or whatever the little essential oils are or ointments or whatever. They didn't have Arbon or Amway, so none of that stuff, but just natural things. And they also had drugs, and they had alcohol, and they had pagan practices and pagan rituals and all these things that might have helped cope for a little bit. But none of them took care of his problem. None of them made the leper clean or healed him. None of it worked because his disease was so far gone that nothing could help him until Jesus is in his city. This is really interesting. Um, if you look at what the leper says to Jesus, there's a couple, couple little things here that I, I just, I wanna make some points on. So when he first encounters Jesus in the city, he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So you'll notice if you read through the gospels in the New Testament, there are a ton of times when people come to talk to Jesus. Most of those times, they walk up and they say, hey, teacher, rabbi, good teacher, good rabbi. It's not all the time that people come up and say Lord to Jesus. So something really special about the leper is that when he saw Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, when he was talking to Jesus, Jesus wasn't just a rabbi or a spiritual guru, or a self-help guy. He was the Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you'll remember in the Bible, he has a bunch of titles. He, uh, he's the first and the last, right? The Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty, the all-knowing, the beginning, and the end, right? He's not your co-pilot. 
I've seen shirts with the thumbs up Jesus, that Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is not your homie. He's not your buddy. He's not a genie. He's not your wish granter. He's not the universal, universe's help to you. He's Jesus. And he's the Lord. And when you interact with God, when you pray, if your relationship with Jesus is one that, yeah, he's pretty good for me and he helps me, he teaches me some good stuff, you're missing out on something because he is the Lord, right? Every once in a while, my sons will be playing, will play handball or football or wrestle around or whatever. And for a second, they forget that I'm dad and they start calling me bro or dude. Or, and I'm not as good as God, so what I do is I flex on them, and I go overboard, and I make sure they know, hey, no, I'm dad, and I'm much bigger and stronger than you. So I'll just hold you up on the wall for like 10 minutes until you remember who I am, you know? I'm not your bro or your buddy. I'm your dad. Jesus is the Lord. Like capital L, like the, the preeminent, the biggest that you can get, the biggest title that you can have, that's Jesus. So the leper noticed that about Jesus. We have to know that about God. When we're asking for things, when we need help, when we're praying, we have to know that he is the Lord, not just special helper, you know, not just our spiritual advocate. He is the Lord. Uh, another thing that I noticed is uh, the leper says, if you're willing, right? I remember... When I was younger, I, uh, I heard, I've heard multiple stories about this, but one in particular, somebody was praying about something and they kept, they were telling another pastor that they had been praying and they kept praying, God, if this is your will, if this is your will, Lord, if it's your will, God, if you want to do this, and the other pastor says, hey, God will never do that for you because you don't have enough faith to believe that his will is in alignment with you. You're always praying, God, if it's your will, and that's a cop out. Just in case God doesn't answer your prayer, oh, it wasn't his will. So, the, And the guy was saying, you, you don't ever pray that. You don't pray if it's your will. You should know that God has your back and that it's your will. Here's the problem with that. Even Jesus prayed, hey, God, if it's your will. But before he went to the cross, he was in the garden. And he said, God, I, don't, I might change my mind. This doesn't sound great anymore. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go die on a cross tomorrow. But nevertheless, if it's your will, if it's what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. The same thing with this leper. He approaches Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, if you want to do this, if it's your will to heal me. So when we pray, we have that same attitude. We, anytime you think that just because you're praying something that God's will is just aligned with yours and he's obligated to do it, something is wrong. That's called being self-righteous. Those are the type of people that put Jesus on a cross and crucified him. We can't be like that. Every time we pray, we have to understand that this might be God's will. He may want to do this thing. Also, he may not. A lot of people are deceived into thinking you pray hard enough, you're good enough, you have enough faith, God will do the thing for you. He doesn't always. Why? Sometimes he doesn't want to. Sometimes it's not his will to do things the way that we want it. So if you've ever heard, don't pray if it's your will because it's a cop-out or whatever, that's wrong. So what an idiotic thing to say, because if Jesus prays that way, I mean, maybe we should pray that way too, because Jesus is inevitably better at praying than we are because he's Jesus. Next thing about 
what the leper says to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, you can. <laughs> There's been a lot of times in my life where I've wanted God to do something for me or I've needed God to do something for me and I've prayed about it and he didn't and I wondered why and I would go ask somebody that I thought was smarter or wiser or older than me and there's been a lot of times when I have been I've been told yeah the problem is that you don't have enough faith so, or here's the story a guy I went to college with he had a he had some sort of disease that made him paralyzed. He was in a wheelchair. And there was a bunch of people that prayed for him a lot to be healed. And I mean, over and over for a long time. And the guy never got out of the wheelchair. And after months or years or however long of praying, people told him, hey, you don't, you don't have enough faith. It's your faith is kind of tying up God's hands. If you had enough faith, God could do it. If you had less sin in your life, God could do it. If you were more moral, if you were better, maybe you have a demon even, but something that you are doing, something that you're lacking is tying God's hand so he can't do it. Y'all, Jesus can. Whatever it is, he can. Regardless of if you have big faith or little faith or good faith or no faith, Jesus can. If you live in sin or you're the most righteous guy in the world, Jesus still can. If you're a bad guy, if you're fill in the blank, whatever it is, nothing that you do will ever inhibit or limit what God can do, regardless of your faith or what you did yesterday or 10 years ago or what you're planning on doing tomorrow or next week. There's nothing that stops or ties God's hands. Lord, if you are willing, if you want to, you can. There's nothing else there. There's no, uh, there's no caveat. There's no fine print. Jesus can if he wants to. Nothing you can do can stop him. So when you pray, if you feel like, man, I have not been close enough to Jesus, and so he may not want to do this for me. No, he can. There's no, there's no flip side to that coin where Jesus is saying, yeah, if you have enough faith, I'll, I'll do it. Don't get me wrong. Faith is good. There's a lot of stories where Jesus is proud of people's faith, but never once does he say it's a requisite for him to help you. So Lord, if you're willing, you can. When we're too far gone, when our mistakes or our problems or our past, or when you see somebody else and their sin or their mistakes or their past or what they're doing today makes you think that they are too far gone for God to do something with. Jesus can. A lot of times we look for help in all sorts of things. Some of us have used drugs or drank or had a lot of relationships or we look for fulfillment and help in our relationship with our kids or our jobs or work or our hobbies. None of that stuff can do anything other than be fun for a little bit. Past that, it doesn't do anything. There's only one person who can do anything for you. That's Jesus. It's not your kids or your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or your boo-boo or your booger or your boo or your baby. It's not your money. It's not your careers. It's none of that stuff. There's one. It's Jesus. So only Jesus could 
clean the leper or heal the sick or raise the dead or part the Red Sea. Jesus is the only one who can and who does do these, these kind of things. And almost every time he will, almost every time he's willing and he wants to, but it doesn't always happen how we expect. A lot of times we, uh, we ask for help. We don't see it or feel it coming. We ask for healing and we don't get it. Like the guy I knew from college, he's still in a wheelchair. We pray for a breakthrough, but then we still feel stuck. We beg God for things and we feel like he either ignores us or isn't hearing us or he can't help or he won't help. But he can. And there's a difference between God not doing something and not wanting to do something. If any of you guys have been a parent for more than like 10 minutes, you'll know that there's a lot of things within your power that you can do for your kids. If you're a good parent, most of those things you will not do for your kids. And there's a lot of, lot of different reasons for it. But just because you can do something and your kid wants it doesn't mean you're obligated to do that for them. Sometimes in your wisdom, you know a better way. And it's for your child's benefit that you hold back or you don't do what they want right away. So sometimes we depend on God for situations or healings or breakthrough or whatever it is, fill in the blank. And he doesn't respond the way that he thinks he, that, that we want him to. And so what do we do? We get, we get frustrated or pissed off at God or mad at each other or stop going to church or start doing whatever it is that we know is taking us farther away from Jesus. Hey, God's not ignoring you. He's telling you, no, God very rarely just doesn't answer a prayer. A lot of times he just says no, quietly. So it's important to talk to him every day because sometimes he's just whispering, yeah, no, that's not good for you, especially right now. Sometimes it takes a week or two of spending time with him every day before you start hearing the whisper of, no, that's not for you, not right now. There's a, another parable Jesus tells that I want to talk about just kind of in closing real quick. I'm really hoping that it's going to encourage some of us who feel like we've prayed for things or prayed for situations or asked for help and we expected for God to come through and do some big overhaul and then he doesn't and we wonder why. If the worship team wants to come up and start getting set up, um, I'll go through this real quick. There's a parable where Jesus tells a story about two men, a wise guy and a foolish guy. He starts by saying there was a foolish man who built a house on some sand. And then some storms came and winds came. Weather was hectic. And the guy's house fell down. Flood came and washed it away. The wind came and blew it down. But then there was another guy, a wiser guy, who built his house on stone, on the rock. And winds came and rain came and floods came. And the guy's house did not fall down. It stood. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you guys feel where I'm going with it. Jesus is the rock, right? Our, our life is the house. We build our lives on Jesus. He's the foundation, the firm foundation that keeps our house standing 
in a flood or a storm or the winds, right? So Jesus in this is saying, hey, I'm the firm foundation. You build your life on me and you will remain standing. Here's the problem with that. We read that and we think, okay, build my life on Jesus and I've got this big, beautiful mansion and I can withstand the rain and the winds and the floods and everything's beautiful and I'll just keep my AC on at 69 degrees and eat snacks and watch TV all the time in this life that I've built on Jesus. But Jesus says he'll keep you standing. He doesn't say that when the storm comes, your roof isn't gonna leak. When the winds come, the windows won't rattle or break. If a flood comes, there's not gonna be a hole downstairs of your house that you have to rip out all the sheetrock and start over because it got flooded. He said, I'll keep your house standing. So when we're interacting with God, when we're begging him for help, when we have these situations that it feels like there's no reprieve from and God's just abandoned us to it, Jesus is saying, hey, you've built your life on me and you're standing and that's good. However, the roof is leaking. The window is busted. There's still maintenance that we do. There's still work that we do. Sometimes you have to paint a house. Sometimes you have to mow the lawn in front of the house. Just because we're built on Jesus doesn't mean we have this maintenance-free, super easy life because Jesus is our firm foundation. It means we're not gonna fall. It means we're not gonna be destroyed. However, when the roof is leaking, you climb up a ladder and you fix the shingles. When a window's busted, you replace it. And if you don't know how to replace it, you call somebody to help you. That's why there's leaders at church. That's why we have connection groups. That's why we get together because sometimes we're the person that needs to help fix the window in our buddy's house. Jesus keeps us standing. We do the maintenance. We still have work to do and we help each other do that. So if there's situations if there's things in your life that you've begged God for help for and you feel like he hasn't answered or he doesn't want to, or you're avoiding God in those areas because you feel like, well, you're just too far gone, look, build your life on Jesus. And when things keep coming up or you feel like that's not enough, you expected your roof not to ever leak, you say, Jesus, if you want to, I know you can't. You call Pat. You say, Pat, I'm praying and I need help because I don't feel like God's doing anything or saying anything. You got to help me reshingle this metaphorical roof on my life because something's wrong. But Jesus doesn't promise that he answers in the way that we want. He doesn't promise that everything's easy, that everything's great. He promises that he can do things. He can do anything and he promises that he'll keep you standing. If you'll rely on him for those things and you're willing to do the rest of the work in life with other people and with Jesus, that's where breakthrough happens. Some people that happens in a day or at a conference. Other people it takes 20 years. There's no promise in the Bible that when God works in our lives or does anything, it's fast or it's easy or it's great. The only thing there is is Jesus can do it all. He's the Lord, and we are obligated to build our lives on Jesus. So let's pray, and we're gonna go through some songs. When we're singing through these songs, we're doing Firm Foundation, yeah? There's a song called Firm Foundation. Look at that. Very, uh, very helpful to my sermon. When we're singing that song, think about this stuff. I, I'm, I've built my life on Jesus, or... I should 
build my life on Jesus. Or I started building my life on Jesus and then I stopped. And I went next door to the sand pit and started building there. And songs like this are meant to remind us why God is great. And then we sing them to him because we're saying, oh yeah, I remember, I remember that you're my foundation. You've always been good and you've always kept me standing. And so God, you're the best. And that's what, that's what worship looks like internally. That's why we sing songs. It's not just because it's fun to clap and sing together. It's to tell Jesus he's the best. So Jesus, you're the best. God, we all have situations and things in our lives and problems that we face and things we go through and we don't know what to do. And all of us today want to say, God, if you want to, if it's your will, please do it for us. Help us in the areas that we need help. Some of us that really need to break through some things, God, I pray that you would do that for us. Some of us that need to be healed or made clean of things, God, we know you can do it. And we ask that you would do it. And for times that your answer is no, God, I pray that you would speak to us and send us people to support us in those areas and during those times, and that we'll trust you anyways, because we know you can do it. And if you don't, there's probably a reason why. So God, please speak to us. Please talk to us. Please interact with us. For those of us that are hiding and avoiding you, God, I pray that just like you came to the leper city, God, you would come to our city. You would come to our town, come to our homes, come to our lives, and keep doing that until we realize, God, that if you want to do something, you can. You can do whatever. You can do anything that you want because you're the Lord and you're the best. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com. 